Chicago, tonight is just the beginning. With our voices and our votes, we have ushered in a new chapter in the history of our city. A look at what's next for Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson and for Chicago. I'll be honest, this is personal for me. Investing in people is at the heart of this campaign because I've seen what disinvestment looks like. And I'll talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, about news from the local housing market, including how highest-priced home sales are down in the first quarter and demolition is underway in the saga of a lakefront Winnetka property. Demolition started in Winnetka on three of the homes that the Ishbias own. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, April 6th. Rest easy knowing your business's savings are secure and earning more with a Wintrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you'll get up to 15 times more than the standard FDIC protection. That's right, 15 times more protection with the ability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAXSAFE to talk with a local Wintrust banker today. That's 833-MAXSAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Hello, Dennis. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So much news happening this week. Thanks for <laughs> hitting pause to to hop in and say hello. So let's start. We've talked so much about high-end homes and that higher edge of the market. You've done some reporting about how the highest-priced home sales are, in fact, down in the first quarter. Yeah. So at the end of 2022, you and I talked a fair amount about that explosive growth in upper end sales. And, and when the year ended, home sales at all prices were down pretty sharply, not a surprise, interest rates, et cetera. We've discussed that at length, but sales at $4 million and up were up. There was a gap of, of I think, 20 percentage points between what one did and what the other did. And that was pretty telling. Well, the first quarter of 2023 has ended. And so checking the pulse of that higher end market, as I do, I you know also check the pulse of the market at all prices. I found that in the first quarter, we had 12 sales of homes at $4 million or more. That's compared to 34 in the first quarter of 2022. Clearly, it's down. Yeah. Um, it's down back to sort of normal. Um, 2021 and 2019, the first quarters had similar numbers to what we had in 2023. In 2020, in between there is that weird year where the first quarter really sort of doesn't count. It's like a bad dream. But it looks as if we've sort of gone back to a normal volume up at that extreme upper end of the market. Yeah, interesting. So I wonder what that will do to that, that year-end number that you, that you track. Well, you know, a lot of the agents I spoke to who work in that part of the market said, yeah, this is just momentary. You know, one of the things I said to you at the beginning of the year when we had a quick rush of a couple of big sales is a lot of those are things that were processing late in the previous year, and then they just don't actually close until the new year. Several of the agents I spoke to said, you know, you're just looking at the first quarter. Um, there are a lot of things they said 
pending. There are a lot of things that are going to happen. So they don't think uh, the year-end total will be down quite as much. But a year is a long time. So we'll see what happens. Right. So talk to me about some reporting you did around the uh, the five largest Chicago brokerages and how uh, home sales drops have kind of played out there. Yes. So this is data that we get um, at the early in the year from Realty Trends every year. That's a consultancy that tracks the business nationwide and their numbers are out for 2022. What we saw is that I really only look at the top five brokerages because Really, when you get below those five, they're they're pretty small, and the changes may not be may not have as much to do with the market as with personnel moves, that sort of thing. So, top five brokerages in the Chicago market, all of their dollar volume was down between about eleven and eighteen point five percent in twenty twenty two from twenty twenty one. Overall, our market in general sales were uh, dollar volume was down fourteen point one percent because once again sales dropped dramatically in the second half of the year. So they're all within range. The market is down 14%. They're down 11 to 18%. They've all sort of dropped at, at a roughly the same pace, which was good to see because in previous years, I've had, uh, I think it was just the last year, we would see several go up and one drop. Um, and, and so that was, would be an indication that this one brokerage really did not keep up with the market. It looks as if all our top five really just basically sagged with the market. Will that be true? What what will we say a year from now? Will there be a shakeout? Don't know any of that. But um, one brokerage chief, Thad Wong of at Properties, Christie's International Real Estate, said, "Yeah, you know, we all got hurt. Everybody got hurt. It's not a surprise. I mean, anybody who was in the market in the, in the real estate market in the second half of 2021, 2022 knows that you know." It was crickets for a while there. Um, so they're not surprised uh, that volume shrank as much as it did. Uh, and we'll see, once again, we'll have to see how this year plays out. We don't really know what the market is going to do this year, but that will certainly have a lot to do with where, uh, where the various brokerages are relative to one another at the end of this year. Okay, well, other story that I, I noticed you've done some reporting on lately, and that is the Ishbia's home in Winnetka, because we, we managed to, I think, go two whole weeks without, without updates on that after like 12 weeks in a row of lots, of lots of interesting twists and turns in that saga. So what is the latest? It does seem strange to do an entire podcast without talking about either the Ishbia's or Ken Griffin, <laughs> right. but demolition started in Winnetka on three of the homes that the Ishbia's own. People may remember that Justin and Kristen Ishbia have four properties on the Winnetka Lakefront, three of them, and then there's a public park, and then there's their fourth property. Um, there was a somewhat a land swap arranged that became controversial where that fourth property, they were going to swap that fourth property for a piece of the park. And so the park district would have parkland contiguous, and the Ishbias would have essentially four properties in a row. That's a, a rough approximation of what would have happened. Um, the land swap has been hung up for months, uh, not any doing of the Ishbias. It, there are lawsuits from um, Winnetka residents saying the park district doesn't have the authority to make this swap. There are various other things that are slowing down the land swap. And last summer, what Justin Ishbia said to me is, you know, we've bought this other property. They, they, they had 
two in a row. Now they have three in a row. And again, there's that fourth. They bought the third in a row. And he said, you know, we can we can just move forward without that isolated piece, without having to wait for the land swap. So now they're moving forward. They've started tearing down the three mansions in a row along Sheridan Road. Um, I had a, a very nice talk with him. Um, he will not say what they plan to build, you know, how, with those three lots that I don't know the square footage it would allow, but it would allow a gigantic mansion. We know that much. And he hasn't said whether that's what they're going to build, um, what it's going to look like or anything. Um, but he did say, yeah, we're moving forward. So what he said to me was, I'm doing what I can control. And he, he can tear these three down and get working there, regardless of what happens with the land swap. And then at some point, figure out, oh, we actually have more land contiguous because the land swap went through, or no, we don't have more land contiguous. We have this other isolated lot across the park and figure out what to do with it. In the meantime, what he said is we want to get a house built because we want to put our kids in the Winnetka public schools. So we're moving forward with, as he said, what we can control. Well, I, I, I guess you can't blame the guy, right? It kind of was going on and on and on and on. I think that's, that's probably an appropriate response to just kind of deal with what you can control while waiting for the rest. I think it is. And, and for those who don't remember, uh, the Ishbias have spent nearly $40 million, $39.9 million to buy those four properties. Um, you don't buy, you don't spend that much money on land and then say, Oh, really? Well, okay, we'll just wait. Right. I mean, they, they clearly, <laughs> right. you know, want to, that's the sort of thing where you would want to move forward. You've bought a huge piece of lakefront property in Winnetka. It's not a surprise that they're impatient to get moving. Sure, sure. I think most people would be. All right. Well, talk to me about the West Loop and how the top condo price is about to go way, way up. Uh, yeah, by approximately a million dollars. This was a surprise to me, although it probably shouldn't have been because over the years I've written about uh, there have been times when I wrote, oh, my gosh, look at all these million dollar condos in the West Loop. And then, oh, oh my gosh, look at all these two, three, five million dollar mm-hmm. condos in the West Loop. I remember that. I remember when it was such a big deal This suddenly like, wow, it's hit this one million dollar point on condos. And then we started seeing some athletes moving into the area. I think some Blackhawks players were moving in and we started seeing some some other price increases and it just kind of kept going up. Yeah, it really has. And there's a, a new building going up called Embry that had, I wrote last summer and we talked about, um, they had two penthouses planned where each one was going to be priced at $8 million and they were going to have outdoor pools. So on the 15th floor, you were going to have your own private outdoor pool. Walk right out from your living room to your pool as if you're in some suburban setting, but you're 15 stories up. I can think of worse things. Yeah. So <laughs> this is one of those two penthouses it had been priced at eight. It went under contract in the $7 million range because I learned from the agent, those buyers decided not to take the pool. So it comes down by a million dollars. I don't know what it will sell at or what it will close at yet. The building is not yet complete. And so it's not until the condo is delivered that the actual sale price will be registered. But the real estate agent said it's likely to be pretty close to that $7 million asking price. There's sort of a signal when they put it into the listings that way. If it sells at $7 million or even close to that, it will be a million dollars above the record price for a home in the West Loop. There are two condos, one sold for 5.6 and one for 5.7 million. So two condos approaching 6 million. This one appears to be ready to close at 7 million. 
it's really interesting to see. So you, you were talking about sort of big purchases in the West Loop. Essentially, the West Loop's gain is the Gold Coast's and downtown's loss, really. I mean, it has become the place where, or a place, where uh, primarily younger buyers with a lot of money want to be because it may be that they've lived there since they didn't have a lot of money and had a less expensive condo. It may be that they're transferring in as an executive, but that's the place you want to be. A $7 million condo would be a noteworthy sale on the Gold Coast or in, or, uh, in Trump Tower or any of the downtown buildings, uh, but it's apparently happening in the West Loop, which is a, a real interesting shift of um, buyer's priorities. And once again, I don't know exactly the dollar figure it will close at, but it seems like it's going to be real close to, if not at, $7 million, which would be $1.3 million more than the highest price sale so far. Something could sell in between. Again, so this building won't be finished until summer. So we could see a sale at a higher price between now and then. I'd be surprised. Although, obviously, I, <laughs> my capacity for being surprised is being tested by the West Loop. Constantly, right. Indeed. Well, we'll have to revisit that and see where it lands. All right. Talk to me about this house, uh, an Evanston Lakefront neighborhood has this house built in 1894. Tell me about this place. This one is just really pretty. I mean, there, there's a lot to say about it. I'm not trying to diss it by saying it's just pretty. Um, this was in our Before It Hits the Market column. This is a house built in 1894 in that real sweet spot of Evanston, the lakefront south of the university. It's a couple blocks in from the lake. It's about four blocks in from the lake. But that neighborhood, when you're south of Northwestern and near the lake, it's it's what people like to call Evanston because it's all these beautiful old vintage homes built at a time when Evanston was was, you know, sort of a grand suburb just north of the city. And you'd build a house big enough for your big family and servants and that sort of thing. This is a nice big Victorian house built in um, 1894. And what I like about it is all those things I just said are about sort of vintage and, and that sort of thing. It's a great looking older house, but it has the right updates. They've put in, um, uh, they've updated all the utilities. There's recessed lighting. They did all the things you'd need to do to make it there. I have done stories on older homes where you know, you still kind of have this weird sideways living room because that's just kind of how it was built. This doesn't have that. And this, and one of the rooms that I absolutely love in this house is it's got this rounded sunroom sticking off the front, sticking, so the house faces east. So this would be facing the lake, although there are houses, there are a couple blocks of houses between you and the lake, but you would capture the lake breeze. Uh, but you just sit, there's this nice rounded sunroom that just feels so inviting, so chill is what the seller told me. And it, it really sets the tone for a very relaxed, sure. sort of genteel kind of a house. Yeah, definitely. This house, along with many others that you write about, folks can find photos at chicagobusiness.com. They're online for everyone to check out. Oh, and Amy, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention the price. They're asking $1.85 million. Oh, yes, that important detail. How much does it cost? Yes. All right, let's talk about the Rock House. This is a really cool place. Tell me about this. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by these. There are about 18 of them in Brookfield, and there are, uh, there are others in LaGrange, et cetera, built by a man, Conrad Schneider. Um, the interiors were done by his wife, Anna, late 19th century, early 20th century. 
the interior of this one is gone, so Anna's not involved. But um, a historian of Brookfield brought my attention to them years ago. He unfortunately has has died, but this one is really probably the best of these boulder houses in Brookfield because it's all rock. The exterior, four sides, turret, porch, all lined with rock. Schneider apparently would go out into the prairies when there were a lot of prairies around a place like Brookfield in the uh, 19th century, and he would just haul back rocks. It's really neat looking. And build the exteriors of these buildings with rock. Some of them, when you when you look in Brookfield, some have been remodeled, so a lot of the rock is gone. Some were built really just with a boulder porch or the turret is boulders. This, the whole thing is boulders, the porch, the turret. It's so cool. It actually reminds me, um, I think you know, I was born in Philadelphia and Philadelphia has a lot of black limestone houses, two, 300 years old, and they're spectacular. And this, this sort of feels like that, a house built with its exterior entirely of rock. And the people who, who are selling it, um, who are asking $749,000 for it, they bought it. Um, they're an older couple who bought it to live near their daughter, who also had a rock house. Again, there are 18 of these in, in um, Brookfield, all built by the Schneiders. Um, they had one that they rehabbed, the, the daughter and her family rehabbed. So then the parents buy one and they rehab it. Um, daughter has moved. Parents, again, are older, downsizing. So they, um, they redid the entire interior. So you've got this beautiful sort of irreplaceable exterior that they didn't have to do much out of, do much to because it's made out of rock and it lasts, but inside they redid the whole thing. My understanding is that it was um, a two flat that wasn't in great shape inside when they bought it. So that, or it had been chopped into a two flat and it wasn't in great shape. So they did a lot of work bringing it back. And one of the cool things is, so the house has a turret. There is a round room on each of three levels of that turret, which I think is pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. It's a great looking house. Yeah. Again, head to chicagobusiness.com for photos of it because it's, you just have to take in the photos to like really do it justice. And it's, and it's nice to see, you know, as I said, it's the best of them in town. It's nice to see it in such good shape. Some of them, um, you know, you, you would pass some of these and you'd say, oh, there are some rocks, but this one, this is a house built of rocks. It's all rocks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool look. Rock on Brookfield. There you go. You were just waiting to say that, weren't you? Rock on, Brookfield. Speaking of very cool houses and reasons why everybody should go to chicagobusiness.com and look at photos, um, a house that we've talked about before, the Spaceship House, Yeah, which is exactly what it sounds like because it literally looks like a spaceship. It is back on the market. That seems very quick. What happened? It is. Um, so it, <laughs> this house just kills me. It's a, it's a dome and it's built to look like it's hovering over the ground. Uh, and it, uh, when it was built, it rotated. It sits on a platform and it rotated. Uh, it came on the market last year. It's in Samanoc. It's about 48 miles southwest of downtown Chicago. It seems like a great idea for a, a short-term rental, an Airbnb or something like that. It's on, I think, five acres. There's a beautiful sort of river area nearby. The, the stream actually runs through the property. Big piece of prairie on the property. Um, Seems like a great short-term rental for people who want to get out into the country. So somebody was apparently trying to buy it for a short-term rental. Neighbors complained, you're in a semi-rural area. And the idea was, uh, the idea the neighbors had was, if this is not a hosted rental, 
then you know these these overnight renters are going to show up. They're just going to go tramping across my property, go hunting, go fishing, whatever it is. Um, I don't really want a non-hosted short-term rental here in my rural area. So uh, according to the real estate agent, and I got sort of semi-confirmation from LaSalle County officials, if you were to buy it and make it a hosted rental, more like a bed and breakfast where there's a live-in person, you'd be more likely to get approval. Nobody can guarantee that until it goes to the LaSalle County board. But because the neighbors were concerned, there's nobody watching over, this could work. And the thing is, you could do this because there's the spaceship and separate on the property, there's a building, a a pole barn really, Um, but you could fit it out as like an owner's unit. The former owner used it not only as a garage, it's big, I was in it. It's a big garage and also a broadcasting studio or was used that way. So it's big enough that you could live there and have your guests stay in the spaceship. Um, they're asking five twenty four nine five hundred twenty four thousand nine hundred. So let's talk a little bit about the the history and the seller. Um, it's being sold by a man who was left it uh, by the man named Joe Who. Joe Tufano was a radio psychic. He was on WLUP and other stations. Um, he was he. Uh, there's a long phrase he prefers to be called, but basically it comes down to empath. He didn't want to be called a a psychic, but that's essentially how we understand it. He died um, and left it to this man, Billy McCoy, but um, he built the house. Billy told me after Joe died, Joe built the house because he wanted to live way out in the country and he wanted to live in a dome. So he builds this thing that's shaped like a spaceship. It's nuts. When you stand on one side of it, it really does look like it has taken off from the ground. It really does. It's yeah. amazing. And then inside, it's a dome. So you've got these wood ribs overhead. I mean, as a short-term rental, it would be incredibly cool. But also, as my own second home, it would also be cool. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I would take it. if You know, it's so interesting. And, and it's got this history with this psychic in the center of the building, So there are these wood ribs that go up the sides of the dome, but there are also these wood um, posts that come up right in the center of the circular layout. And um, apparently Joe Hu said that this was sort of a nexus for um, energy. So if you stand there, there's healing power and all all sorts of other things are going to happen to you when you stand there in the center. I think this could be a really interesting short-term rental if you're willing to be a host if you're yeah. willing to you know live on the property and if you get the approvals that are needed but again it would also be i think a pretty fun place to live absolutely and what i, I mean there are many i was to say what i love about it but no there are many things that i love about it the story yeah. behind it the owner i mean all the things but when you think spaceship house you think metal and glass and all that but it has so much wood in it it actually doesn't feel like some kind of sci-fi thing. It feels like a nice little, it feels like a, a like being in a, a hut or something almost. Yeah. It looks like a cabin that came down from space. Sure, a space cabin. Um, <laughs> yeah. Aliens were camping and they decided to land here. Well, a- aliens need a, a weekend lake home too, I suppose. <laughs> I think we've got their new marketing <laughs> angle. They did. Oh, and by the way, in their new marketing, I think we connected to it in the story. They actually, they have an agent go out there dressed in sort of a 1950s space alien costume, tinfoil hood and all this stuff. And she kind of dives into the house and then she walks around talking about <laughs> all the space connections, which I think you have to do. You kind of have this to, house. yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but to go back to what you said, yeah, it's 
it's wrapped in shingles. I mean, it's a it's a shingle wrapped dome. You don't have to see it as a spaceship, but it's hard not to. It's a spaceship. <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's call it what so it I, is. So I think what we should call it is the space cabin. The space cabin. Yeah, I like that. We just made a fortune in extraterrestrial real estate, selling them weekend homes that are very lodge-like. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. Yeah. When the aliens come down and are looking for homes, they'll come We're going to go, wait a minute. We've got you covered for your weekend relaxation. We've already worked this out. <laughs> ah, Good times. All right. Well, what's coming up in the week ahead, Dennis? Oh, a couple of things. Um, the, a, a, an important national landmark in Chicago just sold, and I'm okay. going to write about that. And there's also... There's a, a place in Lakeview that I find fascinating. Um, it's sort of the incredible shrinking density. It's a mm. place where there were going to be just in the course of four years, it went from let's build 28 units to let's build 12 to let's build six or maybe only four, which wow. I think is fascinating. I can't wait to talk about that. That seems that, that my math doesn't work on that. So I'm going to have to have you explain it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. We will talk about that next time. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, despite many workers shifting to hybrid or fully remote schedules, the CTA chief says that crime is to blame for a slow rebound in transit ridership. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Crane's Audio Studio presents Four Star Stories, The Felonious Adventures of a Chicago Mole, a four-part series reported by Albie Galoon. John Thomas has stories, lots of them. But you have to ask, how much of what he says is real? You could drop me in any country in the world, I'll be a millionaire in six months. Anyway. I'm Albie Galoon, and when I began on the real estate beat at Crane's two decades ago, I began hearing the name John Thomas a lot. Look, John is a narcissistic egomaniac. I mean, there's just no better way to describe him. Thomas was making his name in Chicago real estate. He had a brash New York swagger and a 350-pound frame that got him noticed. Were you a good football player? I was, I used to bench 590 pounds. Come on. That's a fact. He avoided one trip to prison by working as an informant for federal prosecutors. But Thomas managed to wind up behind bars anyway. Did that change his ways? So I walk outside and there's 10 FBI agents wearing fucking blazers around my car. These are the felonious adventures of a Chicago mole, told in four chapters. I said, what did I do this time? They said, nothing. I said, can I go home? I said, today you can. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Four Star Stories from Crane's Audio Studio. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. In the Chicago mayoral election, Cook County Board Commissioner Brandon Johnson won over former Chicago Public Schools Chief Paul Vallis. And accompanying Johnson into office will be a city council that has shifted to the left, with progressives backed by the Chicago Teachers Union and United Working Families picking up a handful of seats. In his victory speech, Johnson said, quote, To those Chicagoans who didn't vote for me, I care for you. I value you, and I want to hear from you. I want to work with you, and I'll be the mayor for you, too. In his administration, he said, quote, all people will be valued, saying, quote, there's more than enough in Chicago for everybody. But I also want to thank Paul Vallis for running for office, as difficult as it was. We want to thank you for your service, Paul. I mean, this campaign 
that I ran to bring the city together uh, would not be uh, a, a, a campaign that fulfilled my ambitions if this election is going to divide us more. But as Crane's political columnist Greg Hines points out, the question now, though, is what comes next? Johnson has said he wants to shift more money to social needs, dealing with the root causes of poverty and crime. He's also said he wants to immediately promote 200 police officers to detective. But neighborhood police districts are still short more than 1,000 officers from pre-COVID days. And Fraternal Order of Police President John Catanzara recently threatened that hundreds more officers would resign if Johnson won. Getting them to stay and perhaps filling some vacancies will be a task ahead. Another will be coming up with the money that the mayor-elect wants for new programs and to fill existing budget holes. Hines noted that Johnson outlined $800 million in tax hike proposals he said would avoid another increase in the city's property tax. But some moves, like an increase in the tax on home sales, require approval from Springfield. And others, like a tax on jet fuel at the city's airports, are potentially not doable within the boundaries of federal law as it currently exists, so those would have to be replaced if Johnson is to deliver on his spending promises. Hines further noted that equally crucial for the 57th mayor of Chicago is dealing with a business community whose major organizations largely endorsed Vallis, and many of whose leaders opened their wallets to him. Hines noted that Johnson may not find that easy, given earlier campaign messaging about wealthy corporations and the corporate climate after the departures of Boeing, Citadel, and other top companies. Johnson will also have to decide whether or not he really will stay out of city council reorganization efforts, as new aldermen perhaps ratify or change a plan adopted last week by the outgoing council, and whether to proceed with an all-out bid to win the 2024 Democratic National Convention. Also up for a decision are issues such as whether to approve a new franchise deal for ComEd, something Mayor Lightfoot proposed but has been unable to get through, and how to get more money to expand investment in South and West Side neighborhoods. You can find more political reporting, commentary, and analysis at chicagobusiness.com. The Associated Press reported that a Democratic-backed Milwaukee judge won the high-stakes Wisconsin Supreme Court race Tuesday, shifting to a Democrat-leaning majority on the court for the first time in 15 years, as the fate of the state's abortion ban sits on the line. Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Janet Protosiewicz defended former Justice Dan Kelly, who previously worked for Republicans and had support from the state's leading anti-abortion groups. Democrats see a Protosiewicz win as key to holding on to the state in future elections after Donald Trump won in 2016 and President Joe Biden flipped it back in 2020. Protosiewicz attempted to downplay the importance of abortion as an issue in her victory speech, even though she and her allies, including an array of abortion rights groups, including Planned Parenthood, made it the focus of much of her advertising and messaging to voters. Protosiewicz told the Associated Press after her win, quote, It was really about saving our democracy, getting away from extremism, and having a fair and impartial court where everybody gets a fair shot in the courtroom. For background, Wisconsin has a 19th century law on the books that entirely bans abortion, the legality of which will make its way to the state Supreme Court this summer. With abortion services unavailable in the state since last summer, getting Protosiewicz on the bench was seen by Democrats and reproductive rights advocates as the only path to restoring abortion access to the level in place before the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling last June.
Crane's New York business reported that S&P Global has put the debt owned by New York-based office giants Bornado Realty Trust, which is owner of the Merchandise Mart in Chicago, and Boston Properties on watch for a credit downgrade, another sign of a lack of confidence in the office market. The ratings agency cited factors including remote work, a slowing economy, and weakening job growth as signs that fundamentals that support the office market are deteriorating. It gave Boston Properties and Bornado a negative ratings outlook, although it did affirm their current credit ratings of triple B plus for Boston properties and triple B minus for Vornado. Triple B minus is the lowest level of investment grade, putting Vornado just one step away from a junk rating. Crane's reporting noted that S&P does not see things getting better for office properties in the near future either, noting that it expects them to underperform compared to other real estate assets for the next two years, given pressure on rents and occupancy levels. However, S&P did note that the so-called flight-to-quality trend, in which companies are showing more interest in leasing newer and nicer office buildings, could put Class A properties in a better position than ones in the Class B group. But as Cranes also noted in reporting, Bornado has been struggling with its office projects in the wake of the pandemic, most notably hitting the brakes on its planned redevelopment of the neighborhood around Penn Station in New York City. Boston Properties similarly acknowledged on its latest earnings call that it too was facing a challenging office market and noted that although residential conversions will likely happen at some office properties, the process could take years. Crime was one key theme in Chicago's mayoral race, and Chicago Transit Authority President Dorval Carter said in a recent interview, quote, there's no question in my mind that it is having an impact on our ridership. Bloomberg reported, citing Chicago Police Department data, that across the city, crime incidents jumped 62 percent since 2019 as of April 2nd. Meanwhile, about half of workers in the Chicago metro area are still working from home, and high-profile companies like Boeing, the local office of Tyson Foods and hedge fund Citadel have all relocated. And for the transit agency, all that is impacting revenue collected from fares. In 2022, revenue was just 49 percent of 2019 levels. The CTA estimates that ridership will increase only about 9 percent this year from 2022, when it was about 54 percent of levels seen in 2019. So at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, ridership, of course, plummeted and left many public transit systems without a recovery plan. Now, a few years after the initial public safety measures, agencies are still experiencing a slow rebound as many people work hybrid or entirely remote schedules. And many systems have become more reliant on taxes levied by their municipal parent governments. But that's not enough. Despite having sufficient federal relief funding to cover budget gaps through early 2026, the CTA nonetheless still faces a deficit of about $400 million per year. Carter said the CTA is looking to diversify its subsidy streams so that it can be in a better position to have financial stability. Whether that ends up being congestion pricing, which is on the table in New York City, or working with the state of Illinois to find long-term funding solutions, Carter said that the agency needs a revenue source that is not as volatile as a sales tax. To combat crime and the perception of crime in the transit system, more police officers have been deployed, as have security guards. The police department said in an email that violent crime on the CTA is down 4% so far this year through the end of March.
That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening and I'll meet you right back here next time.